Hey, how you doing? Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by Gold Stack Accounts. They get what it's like to be self-employed, be it tax returns, ongoing support or becoming limited. They love to help freelancers get their finances sorted, myself included. Set up a free chat today at goldstackaccounts.com slash being freelance. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For photographer and videographer, Steve Zavitz. Really good, you can be on time professional and you can be consistent. And really, you just need two of those things to get the callback or to get consistent work. That's important to me, it's just to constantly be learning new things, especially when I'm not actively working and I'm not like exhausted from doing shoots all week, is to continue adding to my skill set. I mean, I think I probably work more than I ever did, and I, I worked pretty hard in the nine to five. Yes, yeah, so there is Steve, who is based in New York. His story coming up very soon indeed. I'm recording this one in my car during lockdown here in the UK in June and Steve is in his apartment. So from both of us, you may hear traffic outside, but hopefully we're pretty well insulated. Um, How are you? I hope you're doing all right. Come and join us in the Being Freelance community beingfreelance.com click on the link come through Uh, we have loads of social stuff going on in there but it's also a supportive place so if you've got questions about being a freelancer or you need to you know it's like something's come up a real quick query or you want to brainstorm something on a higher level it's a really great place to be for that but it's also a real laugh as well Uh, we do live Q&A's we do awards we do the pub quiz we do the book club and if you miss any of the book club you can read what we thought about the books that we've covered so far by going to beingfreelance.com and in the blog section, in the articles, you'll find a summary of what we think about it. Anyway, that's all at beingfreelance.com. Right, so we've got a few more episodes to go before the end of season 11. Then I'll take a break for the summer. We'll be back for more in the autumn. Uh, So come September, I wonder what the world will be like then. I mean, I'm sitting in my car. (laughs) It's dark. Please tell me I can maybe go back into my co-work space and record in there by then. Anyway, listen, shut up, Fallon. Let's crack on and chat to this week's guest. And that is freelance photographer and videographer Steve Zavitz. Hey, Steve. Hey, how's it going? I'm good, but really looking forward to basically hearing your story. So how about we get started right at the beginning? How did you get started being freelance? So I've been freelance for the past few years. Um, Before that, I was working, like I guess many people, um, working a nine to five I kind of jumped around and did quite a few different jobs. So directly before jumping into photography and videography, I was working for an ad agency in media, basically doing like media planning. I was doing some campaign management, so a little bit of number crunching, dealing with clients. And then before that, I was doing, I was working in food. So um, I was an account manager for this like catering tech company. And then before that, I worked for a food website. It's like an e-magazine called Tasting Table. So I was doing advertising for them. So I have a, a background in marketing, um, which I think has been helpful for my career. Yeah, so I was working for this uh, media company. And one of my previous contacts, a, a former boss of mine actually, was out to drinks with me. And um, he was working for another catering tech company. And he was just complaining about how the photographers they were getting just were unreliable. They weren't showing up on time. Um, you know, they weren't sending good photos. The, the quality was kind of dodgy. Basically, he was just kind of venting to me over drinks. And I looked at him and I was kind of just was like, you're you're kidding, right? It's like, you know that I shoot and I told you this before and like you've seen some of my work. And he just completely forgotten that I I shot. He was just sort of 
venting kind of aimlessly. And so <laughs> what came of that is eventually he he basically um, had his his team member, his his person that runs the the vendor side of things, the restaurant side, reach out to me. She sat down and just said, hey, look, if you're willing to quit your job, like pretty much next month, we can give you enough work to keep you sustained. So definitely a little bit, a little bit of uh, luck and serendipity there. But uh, I think it was kind of like <laughs> building, like I built up to that point, I guess. You'd obviously been doing stuff on the side. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been shooting, I mean, I actually started doing video for the most part. Um, and I started back in like 2000. Eight-ish, I would say, is when I kind of started taking it seriously and got a nice camera and was really trying to focus on learning things and, and honing my technique. And um, I mean, professionally, like getting paid to do this probably since 2011. So it's been a good nine, nine-ish years, almost 10. Um, yeah. So I mean, up until that point, I'd just been sort of moonlighting. Um, I would shoot on weekends and nights um, when I wasn't working my, my day job. And um, I mean, a lot of that was pro bono work. A lot of that was just sort of for my portfolio or just sort of for fun, um, I've worked with like actually a big part of my early portfolio and, and currently is um, I shoot a lot of parkour athletes. So I don't know if you're familiar with with parkour. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I mean, my early stuff was I, I was really trying to focus on doing that video work. And um, originally, when I started filming and getting the camera and doing all the gear and and learning stuff, my original goal was to be a freelance um, cinematographer doing action sports and doing mostly parkour. But um, I think it's probably similar to what a, a lot of other creatives and the people that are professional in the field will tell you is that sometimes the things that you want to do aren't necessarily the things that pay the most money. So uh, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of money in parkour, um, which I, I knew going in, but I was hopeful. Um, it took me a few years of kind of uh, getting offered $100 for like a multi-day shoot <laughs> to realize that maybe this wasn't the the career choice or the uh, the niche I wanted to to fall into because there wasn't a huge budget for it. Um, but I mean, a lot of that stuff I still really enjoy doing. I still really enjoy shooting movements and I do parkour myself. So it's kind of fun doing like the, the parkour lines next to athletes and filming and, and doing stuff that I think other uh, videographers don't feel super comfortable doing, like getting up high and doing some of the riskier movements. Yeah, nice. And so, so, so what were you doing? Were you like... Did you set up, uh, you know, like a Steve Savitz website? Were you sharing on Instagram? Like this whole time, I mean, that it was alongside your full-time job. Yeah, I mean, Instagram wasn't even really around back when I first started. So I was just making content for for YouTube for the most part and sharing it among my friends. And Parkour had a really big following on YouTube. um, And the focus really was mainly on doing sort of like yearly or or bi-yearly reviews of your training or if you do a big trip you would go and, and film a bunch of stuff with your friends and of yourself and you would make a, a large you know five six or maybe even like 10 or 15 minute video um things have changed a little bit i think with the advent of instagram it's um more geared towards shorter clips and uh more geared towards sort of like showcasing an individual movement or a quick line that you did in a spot as opposed to doing more polished stuff but i've kind of maintained i mean I, i've actually kind of stepped away from from youtube and from instagram even to a certain extent just because I feel like um, my time isn't really best spent doing that right now. I've been pretty busy. So um, I, I think of Instagram and YouTube as sort of like a passion project for me. So if I have time and I have something cool that doesn't necessarily work as a client project, um, I'll maybe throw something together for Instagram if I have time. <laughs> that tends to be where my side projects, um, if another athlete comes to me and approaches me about a project or an idea, um, it tends to end up on Instagram or YouTube. Right. Okay. So let's jump back into your story. So you suddenly get offered this opportunity that if you quit your job, basically your first freelance client 
is going to provide you with enough work. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as I had said, I'd worked in the food space for a bit, kind of more on like the middleman or even sort of the client side of things. Um, so I was familiar with the idea of, of like kind of food media and food marketing, but I hadn't really done a ton of food photography. So the guy was taking a risk on me, but I mean, I knew my stuff. I knew how to use flash. Um, I was pretty familiar with the, the camera systems and everything. So, so my work, I mean, you could look at my work and look at headshots and see that I, I knew the technical skills. I mean, I think his, in his mind, it was, I could, I could hopefully p uh, pick up the, uh, the technical skills of shooting food and the nuance of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so I mean, basically I quit my job, I, get, I put in my notice and uh, they started giving me shoots and I was probably shooting five, six times a week with them. Um, it was mostly shooting restaurants. So it's a company called Platters, um, which I think is a, a global company. They have uh, offices in Canada and the U.S., but uh, basically what it is is a, uh, a website that does corporate catering. And my job was to go to restaurants and shoot basically their entire menu. So sometimes it would be as many as like 50 or 60 items where I would just shoot like kind of machine gun style where I just go and go and go for, for like two or three hours and just shoot every single item on their menu. Um, so I got very good at shooting efficiently and quickly, um, paring down my kit, not having to carry around, you know, 60, 70 pounds of gear with me every time I went to a shoot. And uh, getting a, a rapid turnaround. So, I mean, most of these things I had to get done in two days. So, you imagine you're shooting five times a week and you have 40 to 60 shots in each shoot. And you have to get those done in 48 hours. Um, you get pretty fast. Yeah. And so, did you, I mean, there's a temptation when you've got a lot of work from one client just to let that be your new job in a way, even if you're freelance. Did you do that or did you start putting the word out there that you were available? I mean, I've always maintained having a, a pretty healthy, diverse client list. Um, not all of them pay me the rate that I would normally command, but uh, it's important for me to have some variety and diversity in what I'm shooting just because I, I don't want to get too bored. Um, I do shoot mostly food now, but I do try to sprinkle in the parkour stuff and I shoot some dance stuff. And before the lockdown, I was actually shooting um, a lot for Broadway based in New York as well. Um, yeah, so I mean... Now I think I have a pretty healthy client list and it offers me a lot of variety, but in the early days, I really was leaning a lot on, on platters and a lot on the food. I was still trying to get out and do as much shooting as I could and do parkour stuff and try to get my name out there. But I mean, it's tough. It's tough to, um, to be kind of a new, the new kid in the block and to not have any serious campaigns under your belt. But yeah, so, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I was kind of relying on them for the most part, but the nice thing is that I wasn't shooting with them like for the entire day. So it wasn't like I was going into an office and, and having to meet with people. And these were all my friends too. I'd worked with them before. So they're all people that I had a pretty good relationship with already. So, I mean, the, the flexibility in my schedule really gave me a lot of time to focus on that stuff. And I was also doing a little bit of consulting at the time too. So I was working for, um, I mean, I still work for this company, but it's a, a parkour coaching company. And so I was helping them out with some of their marketing, some website design, and um, also shooting some photos and video for them as well. Right. So how did you start to sort of beyond that first one? How did, how did you continue to, to grow your business? Really, it's, it's been word of mouth. And it's been me just kind of being in the right place at the right time. Um, trying to think of the last I mean, the my most recent client is um, a company called Ferrara, which is a cannoli and Italian owned bakery that's been in New York City for the past 125 years. And the reason why I got that one is because I had worked with another um, Italian restaurant called the Leva, which is another like hundred plus year old institution in uh, little Italy. 
And so that was just um, the, the two owners had been talking and the owner of Ferraris was looking at the website and saying, oh, these are great photos, you know, who, who took those for you? And my name came up and then the guy called me like the next day, basically, and wanted to book me like immediately, pretty much. So, I mean, it's been a lot of that. I think, I guess my mantra around this is just, I try to be as easy as I can to work with. And I've, I've been told that there's these three different, I guess, areas that you can look at professionally. Like you can be really good, you can be on-time professional, and you can be consistent. And really, you just need two of those things to get the callback or to get consistent work. And so, I mean, I'd be the best when it comes to food photography. There's some guys that do some crazy stuff that I really, you know, I'm trying to learn that. But uh, I, I try to be as professional as I can and be consistent with my work. So I think those those things in general, like especially dealing with creatives in New York, people are really unreliable. Um, there's so many people here that are shooting, and some of them are at different levels of the career at different times. Um, a lot of the guys that I know are, are brilliant. They're they're robots. Like they can just crank stuff out and and do some like very consistent, very high quality work. But I think the majority of creatives that I come across here are sort of like in the early stages of the career, and some of them are young. And if you don't show up on time for your first shoot, it doesn't really leave a good impression for a lot of people. And if you're uh, if your work is inconsistent, maybe the first time you you go you nail it, and then the next time you're maybe you're hungover or um, you're just not in your A game, people notice, and um, that really can contribute a lot to uh, to not getting that call back. So I really try to be locked in whenever I go in, and um, you know I'm. I probably work a little bit too much, but I'm on my phone a lot. And having that corporate background, like working in the nine to five, I think helped me a lot with my phone calls and my email interactions. Um, so I'm always very, very cognizant and very aware of my tone and making sure that I respond in a timely manner to a lot of people. Yeah, that is great. Not just coming from it from a creative standpoint, but almost being on the flip side as somebody who may have hired, you know, like being an account manager, you've seen both sides of it. Has it helped your business in other ways? Yeah, I mean, I'm as I mentioned, I'm kind of doing consulting here and there. Um, having that background in, in marketing and advertising definitely helps a little bit with that. Um, it helps you kind of center your perspective on things and, and understand the questions you should be asking your clients. Um, and when they start throwing like ROI at you and they're like, you know, our our target audience here, and like you're you're asking about like you know what what's the the launch date for these things and they're giving you Q1 and Q3 and they're talking about budgets. Like I know, like I've, I've been on the other side of the phone call for that. So like, I know mm. I, I'm not going to get like um, blindsided by their jargon. So in a sense, I kind of speak their language a little bit, um, which is good. And, and sometimes not so good because sometimes they end up relying on you a little bit too much for things. And it kind of becomes sort of like a dick measuring contest for some people. It's um, <laughs> like how, like where'd you work? Like who'd you work for? Like what accounts did you have and stuff like that. And, that's not always the best. I think it can create sort of like a boys club sometimes. Yeah. So you, you wanted to do parkour type stuff. You found obviously work doing the food side of things and started to sort of go deeper on that. Did that cause conflicts in the way that you would be presenting yourself? You know, like, for example, if you were putting forward a website, did did you think, oh, oh yeah. should I just do one or the other? Or Yeah, actually... Um... That's that's a current problem. I think that's always going to be a problem for me is how I, which card do I give people? Um, I have two websites now. Last year, I created a, a food website. I'd been putting it off for a long time, and I had a separate hidden page on my main portfolio site with the parkour stuff in it. That was food. And it got to a point now where the majority of my clients and a large portion of that cash flow was coming in from the food. So it didn't really make sense. I mean, I, like from a pride perspective, I really wanted it to be just the parkour stuff because like, 
early on in my career, one of my photographer friends was telling me like, you should only have stuff on your website that you want to shoot more of. And I was like, all right, cool. So the parkour stuff is going to go front and center because that's what I want to shoot. And people are going to know that I'm the parkour guy, but then people just keep calling me about food. <laughs> so um, they're like, what's your portfolio? I was like, well, it's uh, it's like my website, but it's like a hidden thing. So I have to give you a password and it just doesn't look good. <laughs> so I decided to bite the bullet and uh, create a food centric website and a food centric Instagram. But again, I'm not the best at Instagram. So the following counts, not quite as good. And I just haven't been as diligent about posting and, and being active on that. Um, but I think it's been helpful to have the two websites, but then again, it becomes a situation where if I'm talking to somebody about like headshots, or like a corporate job or something, like which card do I give them? Um, which one is going to be more impressive or is going to resonate more with them? So that's been tough, but I think it's just, if I'm able to have a conversation with them about it, I can sort of figure out and tell them like, Hey, I do these two things, but I do everything. And, um, I think the nature of being a freelancer is you end up sort of being like a jack of all trades and you can master a few things, but if people ask you like, can you do X, Y, or Z? Um, the answer usually is like, yeah, of course I can, I can do your graphic design. I can do your website design. Like I can do some of your marketing and help you with your Instagram. And I can also shoot your corporate events and I can do your headshots and I can, you know, I can shoot like your kid doing a backflip if he wants. Like I can do all these things, but um, it's a matter of like, you want to be known as the guy that does the, the thing that they want. Mm. Yeah, and having, having the two websites, I think has been, has been helpful. It was stressful trying to navigate that space and like trying to do both at the same time. Um, so just having those two different domains of my professional career and like kind of cordoning off people based on what I think their interests are has been helpful. And are both under the umbrella of, you know, Steve Savitz, but one says, you know, parkour photographer, one says food photographer. Or... So the one that's linked to my name, so stevesavitz.com is just the parkour stuff. Um, I mean, it's like parkour and some urban exploration and some like urban scapes, sort of like a little bit more of just the stuff that I really enjoy shooting, like my, my passion projects. And then my other one is the Notorious Bite, or B-I-T-E, because uh, I'm based in Bushwick, <laughs> so it's like a play on Notorious B-I-G. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's all just my food stuff. And that, that website's a lot more simplistic. There's no videos really on there. It's just my, my food portfolio things. But I, I think that's been helpful just because a lot of restaurateurs that I deal with and people, or even people that work in uh, marketing firms around restaurants are very pressed for time and don't really want to have to navigate through a bunch of bullshit on my website to see the photos. Like they want to just open the site and see good stuff. Whereas the parkour stuff, I think people are more interested in like the creative elements of it. And they want to see a little bit more of my personality. Yeah, I like that. Uh, in all of this, do you do you sometimes collaborate with other people? I mean, I have a network of people that I use for, I mean, I have other designers, um, video people that I call if I need second shooters, things like that. Um, but I, I think I've kind of designed my business around the idea that it's just going to be me um, dealing with, I mean, I, I also work for a company called The Movement Creative, which I've mentioned before. It's a parkour coaching team, but um, um, the guy that runs the company is one of my best friends and I'm kind of sort of his confidant when it comes to talking about some of the staffing issues and, and like the stresses of running a business, which I can relate to, to a certain extent, but he has a staff of about a dozen people and it's just kind of seeing the, uh, the growing pains of him dealing with staffing, transitioning from a sole proprietorship to an LLC. And then now we're working towards becoming an NPO, which means that everyone needs to be, um, we're all contractors right now, but everyone needs to be an employee and kind of seeing the paperwork and the expenses around that is just crazy. Um, my taxes are complicated <laughs> enough as it is. <laughs> so imagining having a, a regular person that I'm dealing with and and having to do paperwork for and crunching numbers and potentially if they're going to be an employee of mine, like dealing with 
um, unemployment and dealing with health benefits and, and weighing those options there, like what's ethically right and what can I afford to do, just does not seem like I'm I'm having a hard enough time doing that for myself as the sole proprietor of my own business. So imagining doing that for another person or even more than one person is it's just like it's too much for me to think about right now. Um, so right now, what I've been doing is typically if somebody asks for extra help on a shoot, if I need a second shooter or if I need somebody more of a specialist, maybe a, a graphic designer, because like I can use Illustrator, I can use InDesign, but I'm definitely not an expert. And there are people that are significantly better than me at that. Um, but if I am coming up against a wall and I'm like, man, I can't really do this by myself, I need some help. Um, usually what I'll try to do is position them as um, somebody that the client can reach out to directly. Or if it's something that, something that I need, I can just hire them. And as opposed to them being like a collaborator on a project, I'm just hiring them as like a subcontractor almost, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah. How have you uh, coped with the sort of pricing side of being freelance over the years? Uh, I mean, I talk to a lot of people. Um, rates are pretty variable. They're, they can range to a huge extent in New York. For myself, I think the thing that's been most helpful is just the one talking to clients and kind of gauging how they react. They get sticker shock. And also just asking asking around people that have worked a little bit longer than me. I'm in a position now where I know quite a few other food photographers and, and other just freelancers that have worked in different fields. And I think my rates are pretty much in the middle. Um, I've been told by some people I charge too much. I've been told by some people I don't charge enough. So um, I think <laughs> maybe that's, that's a good sign. Um, I'm not hearing too much of one or too much of the other. But yeah, I mean, so that's that's been helpful. Um, there's a couple of online groups. Um, there's an image makers group for New York City that's been, it's kind of like an insider invite only type of group um, where photographers get around and you can ask questions around your rate or ask questions about advice for licensing fees or just maybe vent about client problems or ask for solutions. And um, I also have uh, purchased a couple different guides from commercial photographers talking about how they set their rates and what they do around like rental agreements and um, licensing fees. So that's been helpful. Um, but really just talking to people, I think has been, been the best because if you can talk to somebody who has personal experience and has known like, yeah, I quoted this guy this and like, I never heard back from him. And then I got basically ghosted by him for the next year and a half. Um, that's helpful. That's like really useful information. And also if you know somebody who's worked for the company that's asking you for a rate, that's even more useful. What would you say has been the biggest challenge for you being freelance? I think usually it's getting clients right now. I'm in a weird position and with the pandemic, it's been so strange because I never intended to become a food photographer, but uh, because food has become such an important part of people's lives. Now they're stuck inside, whether that's delivery or groceries or whatever. I've worked for a bunch of different restaurants that are trying to revamp their websites. Um, I worked with caviar for a little while, which is a delivery service in the States. I worked with a, like a custom Japanese grocery store to do some photo shoots for them for an, a website and delivery service they're offering. So, I mean, I'm actually not really wanting for work right now, which feels a little, um, I guess a little bad to, to say that. Cause I know some people are really struggling right now to get mm. work. And a lot of people, even I many people I know directly, um, their industries are completely just torched right now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, right now I'm not really having a hard time finding clients. I think the hardest thing for me right now is just, making sure I'm staying safe and being responsible about when I'm going to shoots and keeping distance and wearing masks and, you know, following all the protocols just to make sure I'm not like, I'm not going to get sick. And also if I'm asymptomatic or, you know, if I am sick, um, just being responsible around that. 
But in the past, I think getting clients and dealing with the ebb and flow of things, typically summertime is, is really busy for me. And the winter is when things really start to slow down, um, which is interesting because seasonal work, I think here can be really dependent on your industry. And for me doing like the, the parkour stuff where I'm shooting for athletic wear brands, um, outside is really king. So the summer months when it's warm, you can go out and there's the sun. Um, those are super important for me, but I don't know. I mean, with the pandemic, I think the industry is going to change a lot, especially in New York. And I also think a lot of people from what I've heard have left or maybe have considered changing their careers. So I don't know, um, you know, six, seven, eight months down the line, what that's going to look like. When you talk about the seasonality, when it comes to those slower periods, how do you deal with those? Well, yeah, I guess I can speak generally, but I mean, it's it's hard for me to, to think about the future right now just because of COVID. It's, uh, I'm imagining that things are going to be changing, but I do have, um, I mean, I work for this company called The Movement Creative that does coaching throughout the year. And I'm the CMO of the company, so I'm kind of in charge of the marketing and the website and shooting content for that. So I do have that steady amount of work. And previously what I was doing is I would rely more on consulting gigs. So um, if clients are looking to launch a new website or they want to do an online series of classes or something like that, I can hop in for two or three months at a time and help them really just kickstart their online presence, uh, make sure everything looks really nice and sharp. Um, so, I mean, a lot of that has been what I've been doing for the past couple of years. Um, I worked with a, a guy that does Sistema, which is like a Russian martial arts. Um, I worked for another parkour company based in Seattle. It's a friend of mine that used to live in the city. And um, she just asked me to come in and help her with um, some redesign, doing some copy editing, writing copy. I'm just tightening up their website a little bit and, and dealing with some of their media. So I, I kind of rely more on my my marketing backgrounds a little bit during the uh, the slower times for photography if I'm not needed as a shooter. Um, which has been helpful. And then besides that, I mean, working on personal projects also is helpful during that time. I have a huge backlog of other of videos that I was supposed to edit a long time ago or stuff that I kind of shot. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll hold on to that for when it's slow. And I mean, getting the motivation to do that sometimes is a little tough, even when I'm not that busy. But uh, yeah, typically when I'm not, when I'm looking at my schedule and I'm not seeing a whole lot of gigs or shoots, um, I'll try to open the backlog and, and take a look at stuff that I want to do and maybe spend a couple hours working on that stuff. Right. So instead of worrying about it, you, you just get on with the, you've kind of got used to the fact that it happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of plan around my, my busier seasons and save up the money to try to be responsible around that. And I mean, I'm, I am constantly looking for work and talking to people, um, but I try not to be too stressed about it because I, I think that's, if I take the time to really work on and continue honing my skills, really, that's another thing is if I'm working on personal projects, usually I'm pushing my boundaries and I'm doing something I wouldn't normally do. So maybe I'm learning a little bit more about VFX work or more about um, like vector graphics or, you know, maybe I'm designing a booklet in InDesign and learning new things there. That's important to me is just to constantly be learning new things, especially when I'm not actively working and I'm not like exhausted from doing shoots all week is to continue adding to my skill set. When you say, you know, you're you're always, in effect, looking for work and having conversations, do you actively, I guess, reach out to people? Uh, and does it, I guess, come across as professional? Or is it more just a case of checking in in a friendly basis with people who you've connected with over the years? Like, how 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 do you go about that? I, I mean, I have done cold emails. And, I mean, that was a big part of my early presence. I think when it came to 
reaching out to companies and businesses, I would just email or DM on Instagram and say, Hey, I like your work. Like, I'd love to just collaborate with you. would love to talk to somebody on your brand team just about maybe doing a, a quick photo shoot or a video shoot for your hat brand or your shoe brand or whatever. Um, and I got a few gigs that way. I ended up working with a, a watch company, um, doing just a, a parkour shoot of guys wearing the watch, which was cool. A couple of restaurants. I've just, I have just like walked into a restaurant and said, Hey, can I shoot your favorite dish here? And I've had some good success with that. Um, if nothing else, I end up getting a free meal, which is nice. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, right now I think I have such a, a variety of people in my Rolodex that I end up just, if I'm kind of wanting for work, um, I'll just do a soft touch check-in with somebody and say, Hey, how's it going? Like, and especially right now, I mean, it's, you can just kind of check in and see like, how are you holding up? Are you feeling healthy? And um, just, you know, reminding people that you, that you had a, a good experience with them last time, or they were really happy with the photos. Um, and again, I'm not really wanting for work right now, but if, you know, if I were trying to find more work actively, I think I would be doing a lot more of that where I just look through and mm. think about projects I've worked on or, you know, maybe look at my portfolio and say like, Oh yeah, I worked with that restaurant a while ago. I should reach out again. Cause the guy had mentioned he, uh, he wanted to re up and do a, a new shoot when his seasonal menu came out. Yeah. I, I love if I've understood it correctly though, I love the fact that you would walk into a restaurant and say, can I shoot your favorite dish? And then what would you do that for free and then show them the work in the hope that they would go, Oh man, we need the rest. <laughs> we need the rest oh, yeah. of our food. For sure. That's I mean, so it's good. I think it's, it's a bold move for sure. But, uh, I've done that a couple of times and, or it's been like a cocktail or something, you know, what's your favorite cocktail here? Like what's the prettiest one? I'd love to shoot that. And people are, pretty open to that for the most part as long as they're not super busy like you don't want to go on a, like a friday evening at 8 p.m you know when they're really getting busy <laughs> if i was in between a shoot maybe I, I got back from a shoot and then wrapped up at 3 p.m or something walk into a bar and just say hey like you have a cool martini i could shoot or something like that and you know usually they're going to be pretty open to it and once you show them the photo and it's a good photo they're usually pretty impressed um i think food people it's it's good because people in food really understand the value of a good photo and how much that can sell for their business. Um, I have a lot of qualms with Instagram, but I think the the foodie culture of Instagram has really helped people understand the value and like why it's important to pay people or why it's important to have somebody dedicated to doing good photos is really like the pictures sell the food. And if you're ever looking at takeout menus and something and they have kind of shitty, like phone quality stuff and the white balance is all messed up and just things look janky and the food looks bad you're not really going to feel super excited to order that food. But if you go to a restaurant and you see like really nice photos and it really shows the the size of the, the meal and there's texture and it, this thing, like the color pops. Um, I don't know about you, but that makes me hungry when I see those types of photos. Yeah. Frankly, so, I'm sitting here looking at your notorious BITE site at the moment and it is making me hungry. <laughs> and I only ate about an hour ago. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> I am intrigued by the fact that you you kind of downplayed the importance of YouTube and Instagram to you now as in like is that because you don't it it feels like a hassle or you don't have time for it or that you just don't need to or um yeah in in terms of marketing it, it, yeah instinctively I would say oh videographer photographer surely he does these things but actually you're going against that grain you, you're not feeling that you have to throw everything into that. Yeah. I think when I had more time, I was focused a lot more on that and the numbers really meant a lot more to me, but yeah, I think, 
he, he kind of nailed it there a little bit. I just don't really have the time and the patience to deal with it. And Instagram really can be a full-time job. I mean, I've seen people, especially in parkour. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you see this in, in your world as well with design and art. Um, people really focus on that stuff and you can lose yourself in it. I've seen people that are just like, I go out to eat with them and they're just on their phones because they need to make sure they respond in a certain amount of time. Otherwise the algorithm is going to kick their photo back and they have to delete it and repost <laughs> it. And it just becomes like a whole, like I just, I, <laughs> I resent that kind of mentality where it's just like, I, I'm owned by this thing. Like I'm, I'm a slave to this thing. And, uh, I just, I really thought about it and it's like, is my time best spent doing this or is my time best spent kind of like honing my work, learning something new and just getting out there and, and meeting people and, and doing the networking and doing, doing that work. And I thought about it too. And I really haven't gotten that many gigs from Instagram. I mean, as much as it's helpful to have a, a big following and to, to have the big numbers of likes on your stuff in the comments, I don't really get very many referrals from that. Um, a lot of people like it, but even restaurants are not super tuned into that. I think a lot of times they want to see like what your work looks like on somebody's website. And if you can send them like, Oh, I, I shot for this person's website and they can look at it and see how it looks like in a living, breathing thing. It's easier for them to, to see that and see the value of that for themselves. So it's more about those one-on-one -on -one relationships and then sending yeah. them the link that you want them to see. Yeah, definitely. How is your work-life balance across all of this? Do you think? I mean, I think I probably work more than I ever did. And I, I worked pretty hard in the nine to five. Um, but I also, I mean, I lose track of time because for me, editing photos sometimes doesn't really feel like work or, you know, like doing some research, doing some market research for myself or for, for the movement creative as a company doesn't really feel so much like work. But I mean, I don't really have t hours um, or I have to set aside time now to be with my girlfriend or, you know, if I want to just take a break and maybe just go do something for myself, like I need to consciously set that time aside because um, otherwise it just ends up getting eaten away by it's like, oh, I found a cool website or like, oh, I'm learning this cool tutorial on YouTube um, or oh, I'm working on a, a side project or whatever. Like you get lost in that, you know, in that hole. And so it's it's been important for me really and, and for the, the health of my relationships with both my friends and, and my partner just uh, setting time aside and being like, okay, on this day, I'm, I'm devoting, I'm not going to work. You know, I'm going to be away from my phone and telling people like, Hey, don't, you know, if you need something, you can call me, but like, otherwise I'm not really going to be available or online. That's been really helpful for me, for my mental health and just for maintaining my, my friendships and my relationships. If I don't limit myself that way, I, I will probably just work all the time. And I'm a batch worker too. So like sometimes I'll work for a bit, take a bit of a break and then I'll work again. And I'm also working at weird hours. So sometimes I'll be up at two in the morning still working and I'll look at the clock and be like oh man I should probably go to sleep now <laughs> now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what do you have for me Steve so number one is I was once hired to film a custom rain machine for a Broadway production at a port in Algeciras and I was only given 48 hours of lead time before having to hop on a flight to Madrid and film that um, number two, um, I was in Canada, Vancouver, and I climbed a, uh, it's like a light, like a light tower, I guess is what that was. And, um, I got so high, um, we were, we were like probably three stories up and, um, in Canada, cannabis is legal. Um, I don't know about where you are personally. It's not legal in New York, but in, in Canada it's legal. So, um, I smoked a little too much with my friends and I got so high that I couldn't get down. 
I was stuck on top of the lighthouse. And I ended up calling the <laughs> Canadian police because I uh, had a bit of a panic attack. <laughs> and I had to uh, had to get some help getting down. <laughs> That's number two. <laughs> okay. And number three is I uh, actually starred in a commercial for a Malaysian spice brand called Sasha. And um, it was a commercial where I did parkour and... The entire campaign was promoting MSG. Okay. So let's start with the second one. You climbed on top of a lighthouse, then you smoked, got high. So you were high whilst high, had a panic yes. attack, and then had to call the emergency services to get you back down again. Yes. Did you get in trouble? Because obviously, so you're saying the cannabis wasn't illegal, but I'm guessing being on top of a lighthouse probably is isn't isn't the thing you were meant to be doing well my friends helped me get down before they came but uh being an american i called 911 which you know they have a it actually is nice they have a, a service thing where they like basically they assume that dumb americans are going to call 911 cuz that's what <laughs> we all know and they say you need to hang up and call 411 so i called 411 and uh yeah they uh i just was I, I can't even really remember what I said because I was freaking out. And I'm sure it was something incoherent. And they were like, <laughs> a dumb fucking American coming into, coming into our country, smoking too much, and calling the police because they can't handle it. But your friends, got, your friends actually got you down. Yeah, I mean, they were, telling, they were yelling at me, telling oh, me, don't, don't call. Like, please, please don't call. <laughs> You're an idiot. Don't do that. You were in a Malaysian TV commercial for Spice. Where was it shot? So it was on a rooftop in Brooklyn. So there's this whole like downtown. I don't know if you've been to New York, but um, downtown Brooklyn is where there's a lot of factories. Um, it's on the water. So when it was first built, it was kind of like port town. So a lot of the big factories where they would offload big equipment and, and like shipping containers and things like that were all in downtown Brooklyn. And so I was on this rooftop of this big industrial building and it was a huge campaign. We had like maybe 60 people there, a bunch of extras. They had like longboarders, they had hoverboards, they had dancers, break dancers, parkour people. Wow. And then the rain machine, you, you flew to Madrid. The rain machine, what? It rains on stage, is that? Yeah. So West Side Story, there's a, I don't know if you've seen West Side Story, but uh, no. during the rumble, um, it's supposed to be raining in the movie. And so when they adapted it to, to the Broadway, they wanted to have a, a real live rain machine that worked on stage. So they hired this company in, in London, actually, I think, and um, they built this custom rigging machine that has a bunch of hoses and sprayers and sprinklers and whatever to spray water on stage and then an irrigation system underneath the stage to make sure it doesn't flood because the, the pit's underneath the stage, obviously. So what had happened is they had this whole thing, they bought this whole thing and they got it commissioned and it was packed up and then it got caught in a storm in the ocean and got stuck in Algeciras, which is the, like, the southernmost point of Spain. So, you know, like the, the Rock of Gibraltar? Um, if you're in Algeciras, mm. you can see the the rock of Gibraltar from the from the coast. So I I flew into Madrid and then had to take another flight down to Algeciras um, to see this thing. And uh, yeah, it was basically in this banged up shipping container that looked like it had been stuck at sea for like months. And um, I I filmed them like breaking like using bolt cutters to open up the lock in the back and then unload this thing and then rewrap it and then put it in a different shipping container to get to get flown to the states. <laughs> okay. I mean, there is so much detail to all of these stories which suggests that they're all true. But I don't understand 
why why did they just want to film it being I, there was more to the you eventually filmed it on a stage or something did you you weren't so i was told originally that that it was um going to be part of a new story or something about west side story about the the journey of this incredible custom rain machine and i never actually saw if it went up but that was what i was hired for and they paid me so can't complain too much okay right i mean those rain machines do exist it seems odd that you would make up the whole thing about madrid and then the rock of gibraltar and like that that there's so much detail there there's also a lot of detail in Vancouver. Like, I love that story. That feels like that's true. Which makes me wonder whether the Spice commercial isn't. Maybe, you know, like it feels like that is true. But really, maybe that's just something that happened, but it wasn't you. Yeah, I, I'm going to say the Spice commercial is the lie. That one is true. Ah, oh, man! don't tell me the lighthouse is not true that one is not true yeah ah damn it such a good story um i wish it was true that'd be funny (laughs) uh... oh you totally have me i totally believe that um oh well done uh now if you could tell your young (laughs) if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be I'm going to go with something boring, but I think um, like really the, the thing that's probably tripped me up the most is dealing with my taxes. <laughs> and the tax system here is a nightmare. I probably would tell me tell myself to, to really do some research into that. But the more fun answer would be, you know, learn everything. Like really learn everything. And don't be afraid to be a beginner at stuff. Because, I mean, I still feel this way. And it's probably advice I could give myself as an adult but I hate sucking at things. Like that is the worst feeling when I try something like, man, I'm bad at this. Like I'm not naturally good. Like that is a huge bummer for me. And I think I've walked away from a lot of things because I haven't been good at them or like haven't had a knack for it. But I think that's really, there's a huge benefit to that both in like a professional development level and also in like a personal resiliency level. Like if you suck at something and then you end up getting better at it and you've earned your way into being good at a skill, I think that, really teaches you or teaches me a lot about just perseverance. And um, I think being freelance is a lot of that where you're going to feel like you suck and you're going to feel like you didn't do something right or you lost a client because of something that you did. And having that kind of mental resiliency is super important. Nice. Steve, really good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Listen, go to beingfreelance.com. There are links through so that you can check out Steve's work, uh, both you know, parkour or food, you know, to take, take your choice. Look at both. It's an interesting conundrum when, when you've got two things to uh, that, that you're offering the world. So go take a look at both of those. We'll put links at beingfreelance.com. Also, of course, while you're there, check out all of the other episodes. We have articles for you too, videos, and you know what I'm going to say. Come join us in the community the being freelance community of freelancers from around the world we would love to see you in there as well there's a link at beingfreelance.com and if you're a freelancing parent don't forget the other podcast that i do is doing it for the kids with frankie from the doing it for the kids community so please search for that as well but for now steve thank you so much and all the best being freelance yeah thank you too steve take care 